join us for episode 113 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. Actually, in Studio A, we're together. In Studio, yeah. It's like really weird, because just now, like felt like I should be recording, you know, pushing a button or something like that. It's just... Yeah. yeah, and this was de rigueur for the first couple of years. So uh, anyway, we're here to continue our discussion of Joss Whedon's Space Western Firefly starring Nathan Fillion and Summer Glau. Nice. Okay. Thank you. All right. Now she's showing some of the acting chops. You know, she's doing the memes thing that was on that uh, you posted and or Michael posted, I guess. And, and then uh, we see her throwing in a little British accent this time. Yeah, and uh, we'll take a little look at her in tonight's Firefly news, but uh, love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or the website where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab. You can record your own audio clip and send it as an MP3 attachment or send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatching. We'd also encourage you to join the Facebook group and join the discussions there. And finally, Wayne and I would really appreciate it if you get the chance to head on over to iTunes and give us, hopefully, a five-star rating, which should help the podcast's visibility. We're on our summer break now. That's uh, mid-90s, and uh, you got the kids off the camp, and your 16-year-old Condor way into staying home, huh? <laughs> six-year-old. Oh, six-year-old. six-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, she's uh, she could go to camp. They have like a one week camper and training thing that she could go to. She didn't want to, so it's a uh, daddy camp, daddy day camp is is where. And so it's been a lot of uh, playing with on the Wii, actually, which she likes, which is great. That's like you know, it's an older system and everything. I know like real gamers out there are like Wii. What's a Wii? I never even heard of that. You know, like, but uh, yeah, for little kids, it's it's like cutting edge technology. So, and you know what? It, I mean, as far as video games go, it really is an active video game. Yeah, yeah, I like the Wii actually. You know, it's like uh, yeah, you got to get up and move around when to to play it, and you know, it's still pretty cool. I think it holds up. Yeah, she posted a neat little nine second clip of her. Uh, I'm thinking like, wait a minute, he's supposed to be at my house. What's he doing posting here? But, <laughs> Anyway, um, well, you know what? I was going to throw this question out there, and then, and of course, you got back to me that you still haven't watched either one, but uh, we've talked many times about the Friday night death slot, and I've even been messing around with a take five for some time down the road, but obviously sci-fi is gambling that people will, I don't want to say stay home on Friday night, but they've got the Friday night sci-fi lineup, and the two new shows, of course, Defiance is back at 8 o'clock, so that, that's not a new show, but Dark Matter and Killjoys, and and I'm wondering what people like better. If you only could watch one, now, I know you haven't watched either, and I won't spoil anything. Right, I felt bad, so I actually went, and, and I hadn't actually seen them yet, but I am going to record them now. So okay, and you know, I, I really like them both. I, they're different. It's nice to have two new sci-fi shows that take place in space. And obviously we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, one of the earlier space odysseys with Firefly tonight. But if I had to only watch one, I mean, there's no way I could watch them both. I guess I'd probably go with Dark Matter. It's a little more serious, but not like Killjoys is a comedy by any stretch. I like the characters in both, and I like the the story arcs as they've begun them. So we'll, we'll, you know, take a look at each of them on the coming weeks i guess they're both 13 episode seasons that's that what sci-fi goes with normally i think yeah um but you know i like how sci-fi has kind of made friday their own you know like because you're right that there's that friday night quote-unquote death slot that you know i don't even 
know if time slots really apply anymore. Right. You know, like so many people DVR. So who cares what the lead in to a show was? You know, well, I mean, I guess it is kind of because you can say, well, coming up next, you know, whatever, our new show, if you're watching, you know, American Idol or whatever. But, but seriously, uh, you know, like when, with people DVRing things, who cares when it's actually on? The people aren't going to watch it when it's actually on. So why not? you know, load up Friday nights. And it actually does, like I think I said before, when they had um, 12 Monkeys and then Helix back to back, that was like, that was kind of like a cool science fiction Friday night. You know, like I'd, I'd watch them later, not when they actually recorded, but, you know, it was like, it was cool how those, those kind of went together and everything, but just having all that on a Friday night. So, Well, you wonder how it got started. I mean, the first time I really noticed Friday night TV was when I picked up the X-Files in 1993 and that was Friday night. And, you know, I'd been married for a while, so I was home, but we certainly did go out a fair amount. And, you know, that's the age of the VCR. And I did manage to figure out how to program my VCR to, to tape it. But uh, you probably remember the drill. It's like, you know, is there a blank tape right. in the house? So it's, right. You're not going to tape over my stuff. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> so it always became a big production and of course, you could only tape one thing at a time anyway. Mm-hmm. And like you said, now it's not that big a deal. So it'll be interesting to see how they all fare. Yeah. Push a button. Boom. There you show's recorded, right? Yeah. And if you miss it, you can watch it on demand. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, in, in Firefly News tonight, we'll, we'll talk about Summer Glau, who's our featured actress, uh, plays River Tam. And, you know, it's funny because we, we talk about her a lot, and, and, and rightly so, but when you look at the stuff she's in it, her list isn't all that extensive I, I was really surprised i don't understand why um currently she's got a project and and currently is kind of a, a loose uh, interpretation here but she plays wendy in peter Panzerfaust, which is a motion comic tv series pilot that was produced in 2013 by the bbc and it's described in imdb this way Peter's an American freedom fighter in Nazi-occupied Europe at the outset of World War II. He partners with the Lost Boys, a ragtag group of orphans, to combat the Nazi threat, led by SS Captain Haken, a.k.a. Captain Hook. Only problem is that nothing seems to have happened in the interim, and we've only got the pilot. So I don't know what's going on. I mean, they don't, I can't find anywhere that it's a dead project, but there it is. Right. That sounds actually kind of cool, though. It does sound cool. She's also got the 2014 Sequestered, which is a sophisticated, intense 12-episode legal thriller about a jury sequestered in a hotel while deliberating in a murder trial that has national political implications. Of course, it sounds a bit like 12 Angry Men, but uh, she's one of the 12. Uh, Dina Meyer, who we know as Oracle slash Barbara Gordon in Birds of Prey, also stars in this project. And then, of course... She portrayed Isabel Roshev in nine episodes of Arrow, but unfortunately, as I recall, Nissa snapped her neck. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember how she got killed off. Yeah, yeah, so unless we go to flashbacks or time travel or something well, like that. Well, in Arrow, you just never know, right? You do never like, know. I mean, freaking Oliver got a sword stuck through him and fell off of the cliff and yet managed to fight another day. Right. So. All right. Now, before we get into Firefly, uh, I did want to throw out there to the listeners that uh, Wayne and I received a major award, major podcasting award. It is, in fact, a certificate of dubious merit that was awarded to us 
as it turns out, by our department head, right. who decided that, hmm, what does Dave like least of anything? Walking up to get an award at a meeting. Yeah. So, I'm not, uh, not a big fan of it either. Yes. So, Wayne and I received the Sci Fi Podcaster Extraordinaire <laughs> Award on the uh, second to the last day of school. And, and I'll hold this up so you can see it through the microphone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we should, uh, you know, we, we're going to update the website to, to mention that we, we did win this major award and are being recognized by our colleagues. Yes. Um, and of course, now um, Michael is just green with envy. Yeah. And uh, Jamie is too. We haven't mentioned Jamie, who, who's got uh, a podcast network, Second Course Media, where he, he doesn't really focus on sci fi, um, focuses on Hannibal, which unfortunately just got canceled. Oh, so, did it? Yeah. Uh. Um, ratings have been down. And, and I think it's just, again, one of those shows that the critics love it. Just not enough people are watching it, and it's on NBC, so yeah. you got to have more than two, three million on yeah. those networks. Sure. All right, but yeah, anyway. Well, Jamie was able to rationalize it that he doesn't do sci-fi, so he was kind of able to explain it away. But, uh, yeah. you know, and I, I know Michael handled the award with, with grace and dignity. So. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, we're here to talk about Firefly Episode 4 Shindig, Written by Jane Espenson. Yeah. Who, how yeah. awesome was that? Yeah. Uh, who, who, if you don't know, and I'm sure a lot of you do, she uh, wrote more than 20 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She was the co-executive producer on season four of Battlestar Galactica and actually wrote a few episodes, Torchwood Miracle Day, which I liked a lot more than a lot of people. Uh, oh, yeah. Miracle Day. I was trying to think. Yeah. Um, the one yeah, that was, was on okay. stars. Right, 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 right. It was okay. Yeah, and then she's currently the writer, consulting producer on Once Upon a Time, directed by Vern Gillum, who I thought, that name sounds familiar. He We just said his name. He directed season two, episode two of Dark Angel, the episode Bagum. Ah. Yeah, so- uh, Jane Espenson wrote the- she, she was involved with Warehouse 13, too, wasn't she? I believe so, yeah. yeah she, I think she wrote the pilot, actually. Yep. Uh, well, this one aired November 1st, 2002, and the interesting thing, and you, there are many reasons why Firefly was dealt a bad hand. It debuted with Train Job on September 20th, 2002. Bushwhacked followed on the 27th of September. And then there was nothing in October. And I'm thinking, well, boy, kill a show. Why don't you? But then I, I thought, wait a minute. I'll bet Fox had baseball, yeah. which, of course, they had the playoffs and the World Series at that time. So uh, understandably, but... Having said that, it's not a way to let a show get entrenched in the minds of the viewers if you want it to really take hold. Right. And, you know, I'm sure they knew before they started Firefly that they were going to be showing the World Series and everything. I don't know. I mean, we could we could go on and on and on about uh, how how bad Fox screwed this up because they, they totally did. Um, but, you know, what it boils down to, because like, now I'm watching on Netflix and this whole intro – with uh, that they did the, uh, the last couple with Shepard Book, but this one with uh, Mal. That see when I first watched, it, I watched it on DVD. And they didn't have that intro in there at all. Um, you mean the pool hall scene? No, where they say the you know say oh well the Earth went bad and some people had to move out and, and oh, okay you know, that whole bit. So you know I, that's just clearly put in there. It's just to well here's you know Dark Angel does the same thing for those of you who haven't seen this show or saw two episodes a month ago and can't remember what this was all about. Here's what this show is all about. So 
Yeah. Well, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny. This episode, really, it, it just focuses on Mal and Nara and Kaylee. I mean, really, everybody else is kind of secondary in, in, in this one. And I guess... So there's it, some good Jane bits to it. There are. There are. Uh, well, the opening scene, Mal, Jane, and, and Nara are in a bar playing pool. Well, Nara's not playing pool. She's watching, and she's having a good time watching. And it seems Mal and Jane have some side action going on. We don't know whether his intention was to steal that money from the guy he was playing or if he just picked up on the way the guy made the money. But either way. Yeah, well, it's it was right after the guy mentioned that he was you know, like basically trading in slaves that – yeah, well, I wasn't sure. Is that is that what it was? I mean, it's not really important, but I wasn't sure if he he made it on a slave planet. In other words, that that it was you know the money was made on the off the backs of slaves, or whether he actually was trading in them. I wasn't sure. Uh, right. Yeah. It was it was it was hard to. But I think actually probably what you said there that whatever money he made, he made yeah benefiting basically profiteering from the, the yeah it really doesn't slaves. matter w- right. which it is but the the other thing that surprised me when she when he hands the wad of bills to anara she just sticks it down her dress and, yeah. and okay i'm with you i'm with you what do we need to do to get out of here <laughs> and of course he justifies it that you know the the guy made it on the slave planet and then yeah. i love her her comment at the very end lovely place she tells the bartender i'll tell my friends yeah well and there's the uh you know, they have those little comic touches where you know he hands her the money he's like well it's they're not gonna find out until they go to buy the next round of drinks and then all of a sudden the guy's hand claps on the it's like oh good drinker that guy you know, yeah. and everything then the the fight which is just like you know a lot of western brawls you, you see uh, in any cowboy movie or whatever uh ending with the i, I thought someone's either gonna get you know, somebody either gets dragged down the bar or thrown over, thrown through a window. We saw, um, I guess, two episodes ago where Mal was thrown through the virtual window. Jane finishes off this fight by throwing a guy over the bar into the mirror, which in this case is not a virtual mirror at all, but an actual one. Unlike the pool balls, right? Right. Mirror actual. So that was uh, wild to see. I mean, that, that was great. Just that that the the pool scene because it's just this classic combining the space sci-fi technology stuff with the old west they're playing pool though they don't have you know you know well i guess they do have pool halls in the old west i sure. guess you know that they're playing pool but the balls kind of shimmer and shake and and there's a sign that says not responsible for the balls or whatever and uh it was just uh I, I, that's just kind of like the endearing things about the show how they combine those things like that well, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the other thing that comes out early on is the sense that we're on Persephone again, and perhaps we're going to visit Persephone and spend a fair amount of time here. It's sort of like their home base, although, you know, Malcolm's quick to point out Persephone ain't home. Too many people we got to avoid. But unlike a lot of space shows, whether, you know, Star Trek, any of the incarnations of that, where they're just simply always out on a mission you know, in a galaxy far, far away, if you will. And, and, you know, it's, it's almost as if our crew here on Serenity maybe it has this as their home base in terms of, you know, resupplying things like that, but they're yeah. not, they're not going too far away. Right. It's a place they're familiar with. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say they feel comfortable there, but, um, uh, yeah, as far as it goes, you're right. All those shows would have, you know, they, it's like kind of like in the Navy, right? They're, they're everywhere. They don't really have 
a place per se that's home. As always, remember, like kind of there were emotional episodes of Star Trek when uh, there was at least one where Picard actually goes back. We find out, well, obviously Jean Luc Picard, he's French, right? Yeah. Um, and so he goes back home to France, and he meets and he's, his family's back there and everything. It's kind of like a touching episode. So um, you always need a home, but Persephone is not necessarily their home, and that's part of it. Is like they're kind of all uprooted and. And in fact, the whole human race is uprooted, right? I mean, that's kind of the basic of this is that everyone has had to move away from Earth. And so... Serenity's their home. Right, right exactly. Serenity's their home. Yep. Um, well, you know, we talked about the fact that this one's really about Mao, Inara, and, and Kaylee, I think, to a large extent. But but a lot about the relationship, and we've certainly talked about Inara's relationship with Malcolm a lot in the first three podcasts, but... We see her perusing a video screen that apparently contains client proposal, and it looked like the one she watched was taped, and then she clicks on the other window uh, for and, and brings up Atherton Wing, who seems to be live. Right, and so then that made me think, was the first one really recorded, or did the kid just completely lose his cool, you know, which yes. and everything? Um, either way, he, he flubbed it, and, yeah. and he did not get chosen. And this D-bag Atherton Wing gets, who you can tell like right away. He's just a. Well, I'm trying to think, all right, where do I know this guy? I'm racking my brain, racking my brain. And then I, I finally figured it out without having to look it up. Edward Atherton, who's the actor, played Sidney Bristow's fiance in the Alias pilot, which you haven't seen Alias. I haven't seen. Um, so he. That's why he did not look familiar to me at all, he, except for when I saw Firefly before. Yeah. Um, and he's a man who's engaged her before, wants her to attend a ball that evening. And then Malcolm comes in as the call ends and starts making these snide remarks about what it is she does and the men who engage her. And then of course she shoots right back commenting on his lack of sophistication and, you know, tells him this is, you know, not your kind of thing. I mean, no petty theft or fights with pool cues. So you don't want to (laughs) go. Yeah. As it turns out, he actually does kind of uh, I was say. get along in society moderately well. It's, it's, the party's not a total success for him. Yeah. Well, and again, one of the other things this episode does is is it examines the class structure, which is not all that different from what we still have today. And 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 certainly, you know, in playing with the Western theme, it's got that Southern aura to it. Yeah. You know, with the the Southern bells. Um, so we see the crew walking down the main street. Kaylee's fascinated with a dress in a shop window. They had live models, it looked like, right? Uh, I think or, so, or yes. Live mannequins, yeah. rather. It looked like something out of Gone with the Wind. I thought it was hideous, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was I think it's pretty bad. But again, you know, Kaylee is not... She's not refined. Right? She's not, I don't, that's not the word I'm looking for. Well, she's just... That's not her world, right? Of dressing up and parties and stuff like that. And, you know, Mal rather brusquely points that out to her. Right. She's not socially sophisticated, but what he also points out is uh, when she starts making the comparisons to things that Inara owns, it kind of sets him off and uh, uh, he's in no mood to hear about it. Then he makes a cruel comment to Kaylee and she just has enough walks away. And now Zoe's pissed. It's like, I'll see you on the ship captain. And <laughs> yeah, well, it was rude. He, he, you know, he said, "What are you going to do in that dress? You know, you're going to look like a sheep walking around on its hind legs," and that was very insensitive. Right. And he didn't mean to hurt Kaylee, but like you said, you just 
uh, the, anything to do with Inara sets him off, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and only Jane is now with him, and you mentioned some of the good lines. Is she mad or something? Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, like when Mal says the line, Jane's the only one who laughs, right? He thinks it's funny because he is equally – well, he is insensitive. He he has no concept of others' feelings at all. And then when, when they – you know, it's obvious that everyone's mad, but Jane is like, wait, what's what's the problem here? You know, like to him, it's just, oh, that was a funny joke, you know? Yeah, now, like I've mentioned a couple times, I've only seen each episode once, so this is my only my second viewing. It's been several years, so I was definitely pleased when Badger shows up. Uh, he's a great character and approaches Mal and Jane on the street, takes him back to his office because he needs Mal's help. And we find out that there's this guy that's got some property that he wants to sell off planet for a high price, but apparently on Persephone, you can't sell goods off planet. Right. Was that a tariff or embargo? I can't remember which one. Yeah, I, right, right. <laughs> and, and I guess to a certain extent, it makes sense, you know, that, that uh, if you're going to build a world, if you're going to build a planet and a society, you know, you need to make that strong before you go off and start making other worlds and yourself strong. It, it seems like it's like, like a protectionist kind of yeah. uh, policy where, like, like you just said, we're going to try and make ourselves strong, um, but- Sometimes what the protectionist policy does is that means the detriment of everyone else outside of the the planet slash country slash whatever you're talking about. And so because we don't see the sir, what's his, I can't remember his name, but you know, when we meet him, he doesn't seem like a criminal or a bad guy or a profiteer. He seems like a guy who has morals and who, you know, is – you know, maybe trying, yes, making some cash, but also helping people out outside of Persephone. Right, because as it turns out, he's moving cattle, so he's neither in engaged in the slave trade or, I mean, unless his uh, ranchers are, you know, indentured servants or something, you know, that he's a businessman and he just wants to make some profit. Uh, but the question comes up, well, why doesn't Badger just do the deal himself? And he explains to Malcolm, honestly, that that the guy thinks that Badger's a lowlife, and he says, ironically, that, Mal, you would be the kind of guy that he would respect. Right, and they both, Mal and even Jane, is notices the irony of, you know, the thing that caused the trouble between them before that, you know, this idea that uh, Badger feels that Mal looks down on him. Well, that's exactly the thing that he requires for this job now. Right. And, and of course, Mal does look down on him, but... Yeah. Um, well, well, because he is a lowlife. I mean, you, know, right. like, well, you get down to it. Right. So apparently Badger knows where the guy's going to be. He has some invites. And at this point, we figure, and, and certainly by the smirk on Mal's face... He figures that it's the same ball that Inara is planning to attend. Well, of course. I mean, how many? Exactly. And Inara says that too. You know that this is the only party, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, here we start to address one of the episode's themes, which is of class, how one earns respect. And, you know, Badger tries to earn it with money. And Malcolm, the, the interesting thing about him is he doesn't even try. You know, but but he has respect in spades from his crew and really from anybody that works with him. Right. Well, yeah, and, and then you know, that, that's probably I think the best line in there or the best setup. He says, "You know, you couldn't buy an invitation with a diamond the size of a testicle." 
But I've got my hands on a couple. And it just pauses. And then Mal and Jane start snickering. He says, of invitations. Or invites. I can't remember what yeah. he said. But, you know, like, that was, that was great. Yeah. Jane well, Espenson, man, that lady can write. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great writing. And, I mean, that's obviously one of the strengths of the show. Well, we're at the ball, which is quite grand indeed. Atherton Wing seems to be implying that he might want something a little bit more from Inara. But as she scans the room, she seemingly knows everybody and has a relationship with everybody. And of course, we learn early on that while she is in in contemporary parlance, a a prostitute, uh, as Mal calls her very often, a whore, she's a companion and that engenders a certain level of respect at this point. Well, one of the things it does raise is the question of what it means to be a slave. Uh, You know, I mean, certainly we've got people that are a slave to the corporation, a slave to the alliance. Uh, You know, is Inara a slave or does she perceive her clients to be her slaves? I mean, you know, she seems to be the one in power, which would be in contrast to, you know, prostitutes in the 21st century. Right, right. I guess as I was was getting at is, is that when you are forced into the life, um, and it's kind of then it's different when she makes the choice. This is something that she was trained for. Um, this is something she chooses, and she points that out to Mal that you know this is her choice. And she even says to him, you know, it, does he get to do? He acts like he can do whatever he wants. He's completely free. But is that truly the case? Which then we say, I guess, is that really the case for for anyone? You know, are we all? free do we make our own decisions or are we in some ways controlled and we see despite inara who is pretty much we see all you know pretty much always in control you know she's got this jerk atherton saying you know get moving you know and everything or, or come with me and he's ordering her about and squeezing her arm and things like that and he says she's mine like she, so he sees her only as property um and i'd like to also add that he's asking her to be his companion not a wife not any kind of partner, but again, chattel like that, like the cows that end up in the back of uh, of Serenity, right? Which I don't think is an accident that they chose to, you know, portray his product as that. Um, is it acceptable to earn profit if slave labor is involved? And I mean, certainly that's an idea that that we're wrestling with in 2015. Uh, the one thing you know that Atherton Wing wants is her to live on Persephone as his personal companion, like you just mentioned. And then all of a sudden we hear the the guy that's doing the announcing, Kaywinette, Lee Fry, and Escort are announced. And she enters with Malcolm on her arm wearing the dress that, that she eyed that he clearly went and bought for her. Once inside, she's stunned by the opulence. He's there on a mission. They're looking for Harrow, the guy that wants to deal. And Kaylee mentions that well, we should also look for Inara to say hello. And I kind of suspect that she just wants to wants Inara to see her in the dress. Yeah, for you know? sure. And Inara does, and she's kind of like shocked. Know, exactly. But the relationship that the two of those, uh, the two of them are, are developing is really cool. Yeah. Um, however, she sees the buffet table and the draw is just too much. Fine. Don't make yourself sick. And I guess they don't get real food too often. I mean, when, when Shepherd Book first came on board and he had some of the fresh vegetables and the fruit that he had brought with him. Strawberries. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, she goes straight for the strawberry pile. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they're on a ship. And, and so just like any ship, even the ship nowadays, you know, your, your stores are limited. 
And you might have some decent stores, but they are that, you know, to get food straight off from the, the source or close to the source is pretty rare. And so that's, you know, she's obviously goes right for that. Right. Well, you wonder when they're on Persephone, which again, we don't know how often they spend time on Persephone and how long they spend it when they're there. I mean, you would assume that they're growing food on Persephone, mm-hmm. but anyway, back on the ship. Book, Simon, and Jane are playing cards using chores as money, which I thought was pretty funny. In the background, River starts tearing labels off of canned goods. And I'm wondering, is it something about the labels? Is it, I don't know what it is. But of course, while Book and Simon attend to her, Jane cheats. Yeah, he starts taking some of the chores back, right? Yeah, um, taking back some of Book's money. And then we've got the scene with Wash and Zoe in bed after sex. And and I guess it really doesn't, add anything to the overall arc no. other than to remind us that she's in command while Mal's off ship and Jane's power hunger is a danger to her. But I think they know, we know, I mean, he's not going to take her out just to- No, they were joking about that. Right. I don't think, I don't think it was, it was really to show, I think just to remind us that these two are married and are, are happily married and, and have like a normal married life together. Uh, I, I think I said when we talked about the the pilot, that is a strange relationship in that we would not think that someone like Zoe would be attracted to someone like what? Well, not that Wash is unattractive or anything, or but they're just so different. You know, she's like this, you know, this badass. beautiful goddess, badass, a warrior princess. Uh, she's not really a princess, but you know, like, yeah, know you know, like she's mean. like royalty, right? The way she carries herself and everything. And Wash is just a goofball i mean a great pilot yes but goofy and the 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 two seem opposite um but here we are with a nice little scene together remind us well you know despite their their opposite characters they love each other and they're you know have a happily happy married relationship yeah and i guess you're right i mean it does lend that sense of normalcy that i mean look their life can't truly be one disaster after another and that that uh i think inara mentions at one point we seem like we're always in a hurry to get out of wherever it is we are uh trying to stay one step ahead of the law the authorities whoever but yeah this scene i guess you're, you're right it really does show that that they can have a normal life as well um in such a good mood, Kaylee tries to engage uh, first this young guy who just walks away. Yeah. I'm like, dude. Yeah, that's that was not chivalric. Right. And then she sees a group of women that you're roughly her age. You know, she's excited. She's introducing herself. And, and the one comments that last year's ball uh, was so much better. She goes, really? Why? It had standards. Mm. And again, that's like the second time that she's just had this knife just driven into her heart. Yeah, those those girls are, are mean and, and they're not nice. So you know the one type of person that no one likes is a snob. Yeah. Like, even snobs don't like snobs. And so, yeah, it's like the most unattractive quality you can have. And especially with someone like Kaylee, who is just, it's still like, it's like to describe her, for me, it's, it's still kind of awkward because she's, I want to say, like, the, use the words like innocent and naive and inexperienced, but that's not necessarily the case. But she just has this kind of wide-eyed wonder to the world around her. And the minute she walks in, I mean, this is just 
this this episode really is everything I love about Kaylee, who I think is reminding me that I think she might be my favorite character on the show um, because she just looks at everything with this kind of like childlike wonder, like this is awesome, where other people might look at something and say, eh, that's okay. She gets excited about it and everything. And then, you know, even when these girls be mean to her, I mean, it hurts her feelings, but she bounces back, right? She yeah. doesn't go cry in a corner or anything. She just, well, the, the guy comes in and, and kind of rescues her there. But, um, you know, you just, I, I when people are mean to her, even Mal, it's like that, you know, that makes us mad. It makes me mad because, you know, she's she's a person that doesn't deserve anyone being mean to her at all because she's nice to everybody. Well, and I like the fact that she just walked away from Mal when he did that, when they were out on the street, you know, I am, you know, I, I do deserve to be respected. And we, we said that, that respect is a certain uh, element of, of theme in this episode. But then here, like you mentioned, the guy comes up and he says to the, the lead mean girl, uh, must've taken a dozen slaves, a dozen days to get you in that dress. And then he follows it up with a cutting remark about the girl's chastity or lack thereof, which immediately produces a smile on Kaylee's face. And, you know, this kindred spirit, this guy that realizes, uh, what, what these girls are trying to do, which is just force this class distinction on somebody that's not them. Yep. And the, uh, the actor there, his name's, uh, was, uh, Larry Pennell. Um, and he, I just like, I, I know I, he was, you know, he's again, that so many of the, the characters in Firefly are, are like that guy that I know I've seen him before. And you can look on IMDb and his list is, goes back to the fifties. He's been in stuff for so many. Um, he died in 2013, but here's a fun fact, Dave. Uh, he was born in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, which really? is just, yeah, right across the, the border here from us, so right across the Mason-Dixon line from Westminster. So, yeah, I thought that was that was cool. And but he's been in tons of stuff, and, and you know, like, you, you, know, you totally recognize him. Right. And the reason I know Uniontown is my high school social studies teacher was from Uniontown. So here's a really? shout out to Jim Wright. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Malcolm finally tracks down Warwick Harrow and starts to negotiate, but suddenly Inara's date and she come over as he introduces himself to Sir Warwick. And, and you know, the, it, 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 Inara brings up, you know, the fact that Malcolm's there kind of like horning in on her ball. And he's like, dude, you came over to me. I, right. Not the other way around. And, Again, we go back to that social climbing class distinction. So it's almost as like Atherton Wing for all his money that he apparently has. He wants to be recognized by Warwick Harrow, Sir Warwick Harrow, I might add. <laughs> That's what the sash indicates, he tells Malcolm. Right. There, and like, like you said before, there's, there's class distinctions everywhere, even in space. Right, and then that's also the first scene where we see him grab uh, Atherton, that is, grabbing Inara's arm, clearly unhappy about Malcolm being there. Then he asks Inara for a dance, uh, and you know they're dancing, and again, a lot comes out of that that dance. I saw you as all you stand out. Right, I mean, pretty yeah. big compliment. They go back to sparring verbally as he tells her, "My work's." illegal but at least it's honest i'll tell you that's one of those lines you have to look at a couple times like what yeah and yeah he and and that's kind of like this thing here because he you know is basically what you do inara is phony and it's 
acting and it's dishonest. And she's like, well, you know, like, what are you talking about? You know, like the, the two of them. And it boils down to is he's jealous. He is into her. It drives him crazy when she sees other guys. And he, you know, the, the only way or the way he expresses his, you know, these feelings of, of jealousy and resentment are through, you know, childish comments and, and uh, like pouting, basically. Um, but they both bring up good points. There are, there, there is some, you know, deception and falsehood in, in what they both do. Yeah, I guess. I mean, are you like implying that, that she's pretending to like these men? Right. That, well, that's what okay. Mal is, is saying. You, yeah. know, you go, you, you act like you care for these guys, you make them fall in love with you, and, and that's it, right? But it, it's not for you. That's not that's not how you feel. Well, I guess what also struck me here, it's, it, it seems like it's difficult to believe that she doesn't see through all the pretentiousness, which and she does acknowledge that there is pretension here, but that there's also some appeal to you know being engaged as his permanent companion. But now we're starting to ask, well, well, what's happening to you? This just doesn't seem like the Inara we've come to know in the first three and a half episodes. And, and of course, later she tells Mal, we assume she's being truthful, that she never had any intention of staying, but we don't know. You know, maybe it was Mal's actions that caused her to then say that, that maybe she would have. Right. Yeah, true. Like she does later, right, claim that I really had no intention of staying, but you know, at this point, the way she talks about it, it seems like she is considering it. But she also might be telling Mal that she's considering it just because she knows that drives Mal crazy. Well, that's true. That's true. You know? Also, uh, but yeah, I agree that it's it seems uncharacteristic that she would even consider staying because, especially this guy is a total jerk. You know, yeah, yeah. And like the way he treats her and everything. Um, you just we know I can't imagine Nara standing for that, and that's an insult too actual jerks out there to call him that right uh, so then we cut to kaylee holding court with a number of men as they discuss ships and ship technology and it was really great seeing her as the center of attention and she was just reveling in it and and it was awesome they were like fighting over each other to you know to, to get a word in with her yeah which is put her in her element you know like okay so these you know Mean girls at the party uh, are too stuck up to to appreciate her, but you know, regular good people who enjoy meeting other regular good people see her goodness, her beauty, or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's it's great to see that for her. The party turns out to be a pretty good time, right? And, and it was nice seeing her in that dress talking about something that she felt very comfortable talking about and she's certainly very knowledgeable about it i mean we certainly could see her talking to a group of men wearing her overalls with grease on her face and all of that but it was really great seeing them because i think it wasn't only the appeal of her knowledge it was the appeal that here's a cute girl right that knows all this stuff yeah it can talk sports and everything exactly um all right well atherton grabs anara away from mal and claims she's his because of the money changing hands and that's when Mal takes action, knocks him down, temporarily stopping the music. Turns out this is my kind of party, he <laughs> says. And then 
tells Inara that he understands the ramifications of his action, although clearly he does not. No, he has he has no clue. And, and even they say well, the duel. All right, the duel. Let's let's get the guns. No, no. Yeah, it turns out it's going to be swords. And uh, you know, Harrow offers himself as Mao's second, and I guess this is. I guess I thought the second was somebody that was agreeing to fight for you. But I guess the second is just your assistant. At least that's the way it seemed here. No, I think he said that like he's if he's the guy to make sure Mal doesn't try to skip out. Because okay. if Mal skips out, then he'll have to fight. Oh, okay. Okay. We find out that he's an expert swordsman, killed a dozen men, and then as Atherton angrily calls for Inaro, you know, we, we gotta start wondering whether she's questioning this situation or the larger situation, you know, the, the, what it is I do for a living, because, you know, this could happen anytime. I mean, the people she's engaging are wealthy. Right. Um, and I think she just really picked wrong with this guy Atherton because he is, I mean, he's just, I, I don't know how she didn't see this in him before, but I guess that's kind of like relationships, right? Like, sure. you know, everyone, uh, or a girl or guy, your friend is going out with a guy or a girl and you're like, oh, well, man, she's, you know, how could you not see that she would do that to you or something? You know, like, it's always like in, uh, hindsight is, is 2020, I guess, or whatever that, um, that you get into a relationship and especially at first with a person. It's all whining and dining and pleasantries and going out to dinner and dancing and, you know, fun stuff. Um, you maybe we're are, making finger quotes with the fun stuff right. <laughs> that uh, you may might be uh, blind to the uh, nuances of the the person's personality that doesn't come out until you know later once time has passed. Right, and you know to be fair, up until the punching, it was a real nice party. Right. <laughs> uh, so we're back on Serenity. Badger brings news of Mao's impending duel, and it turns out that. Badger's not there to help. Badger's there to prevent them from swooping in and saving Mal. Since, as he says, I got to do business with these people on Persephone. So now we're wondering, well, who's going to help Malcolm? There's only one person down there that can really help him. I mean, for all her uh, knowledge and and uh, ability to keep Serenity running, this is really not her her game here. And Nara is the one that steps up. Yeah. She well, goes, Kaylee's not down there anymore. Oh, right, because they brought her back right, as yeah, the hostage. Right, That's she's, right, she's right. Hostage, yeah. right. So Inara goes to Mal's quarters uh, where he explains that he insulted you. I hit him. Seemed like the thing to do. And, you know, clearly this is the most complicated relationship on the show. And then he even asks her why this gets so complicated. But we know the answer. Yeah. I mean, we've been saying it all along. Right. And, and, and they, I think they know the answer exactly. as well. Yeah, but they, you know. It's like, like I said, if had this show gone on for seven, eight seasons, you know, maybe ultimately they would have gotten together. Um, but as it is, it's just this kind of, you know, this, it's, it's just out there for everyone to see how much they, they care for each other, but that they just can't make it happen because, you know, they're too proud or it just, it really can't work being as what their positions are and what their jobs are. So, you know. Right. And, and, you know, it, it, I think it was Inara that mentioned uh, earlier in, in a previous episode that it seems like we're always in a hurry to get away from somewhere. And she tells him that there's a back door, 
that, you know, you can escape, you can get away from this and not go through it. And, you know, I guess we'll just run to the ship and, and get away, but he won't back down. And then she reminds him, well, you back down all the time. Right. Yeah. It's like, I can't, I can't back down. She's like, yes, you do all the time. Like, and, he, and he says, but not about this, right? Not yeah. about defending your honor. And right. it's. Yeah. He's, he's a complex character, you know? And as is she. And he asks her, you know, you're sophisticated. You must know how to. Uh, use swords and he throws her a sword and, and she does try to help him with right. what uh, as I say did they teach you that at whore academy oh she's like dude <laughs> she, she's trying to help well and, well you know and, and, and then he says I may not show respect to your job but he didn't respect you that's the difference you know in his I don't want to say twisted way because it's not really twisted, but his, I, I don't know. It's confused way. Confused maybe. way. It's like, okay, I get it. Clumsy but, might be the word. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she of course points out that Malcolm doesn't get along with anyone. He doesn't even get along with other criminals. And then the slavery issue gets brought up and he pleads with her to not accept Wing's offer. And right. Well, he, you know, like at first I said that he asked her, but, no, he doesn't ask her. He like basically says, "Don't." You know, he, yeah. He puts it in the the wording is imperative. He says, "Don't do this. Don't take this." He probably should be saying, "Please don't take this," or "I'm asking you not to take." This, so could you not? You know, in some way, put it in in the form of an entreaty rather than a command. Um, the words themselves are as a command, though he does say the lines in a way that makes it sound like. A plea. Well, that's true. Uh, absolutely. Well, on Serenity, while they're under guard, the crew's trying to work on a contingency plan to help Mal, and they figure they need a distraction. River enters the room, and that's when Badger asks about her. She's over acting weird, asks about her. The crew starts to worry, and then suddenly she starts speaking with an English accent and just basically confronts Badger with the fact that, you know, he's a big fish in a little pond. And puts him down, then just turns and walks away. I like her. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, because we're we're concerned, right? I mean, like they don't want River out there. They don't want anyone to know about River, you know, because she's you know wanted intergalactically. So. Sure, right. He uh, asks who who is she, and you know he's not going to say my sister. But we only see her twice in the episode. The first time she's ripping labels off right. cans, and we're thinking she's lost it, and then here. She is cognizant enough to, of the situation to to know exactly how to handle it, and and it was it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's really good, and you know, not not too bad of an acting job on Summer Glau's part. There, no, right? no, and that's <laughs> one of the reasons we love her. I mean, she's just so engaging, and 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 clearly she doesn't speak with an English accent, but as right. her brother alluded to earlier, she's great at everything she tries. But it, it kind of reminded me of like when a long time ago I was in England, you know, and we were out and I was like just goofing around. Like, so I was like, yo, Govna, how are you? And, and like my friends are there was, oh, thank you, Dick. And they weren't calling me Dick as a, like an <laughs> insult, but as in like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins oh. is kind of like the epitome of the American trying to do a, a British accent. So, you know, but I have enough of an ear to realize that Summer Glow is a good actor, but her, her, uh, Cockney accent was very Dick Van Dykeish. Yeah, but uh, all right. Well, anyway, the next day, the participants and the spectators meet in the field oh, for well, the duel. We forgot. I thought you were bringing up okay. this line, but uh, you know, Jane says, "We well, what we need a diversion." 
I say, Zoe gets naked. Everyone's like, no. And he says, I can get naked. Everyone's like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> That was great. Yeah. Jane. He had some good lines in this one. Uh, Yeah, he does. Um, Well, you know, as the duel begins, Wing's just toying with Mal. And, and of course, Mal thinks that he's actually doing well. And I think Inara mentions that or else uh, Harrow might mention it to Inara. But suddenly, you know, the tide turns. Wing's about to kill Malcolm. Inara pleads with him, telling him that she'll stay if he spares Mal's life. We've got our distraction. Right. And Mal recovers, knocks him out with his fist, gets the swords. And then apparently it's one of these deals. As Harrow says, you got to finish him, man. You got, you got to kill him. Right. And Malcolm won't kill him. Well, they need something more compelling than if you don't kill him, it will humiliate him because I'm like, well, that's actually another reason why I wouldn't kill him. Right. right. They need the rule. Like if you don't kill him, then you get killed or something like that. You know, like there's, there's no compulsion there to kill if it's just that you can't leave him there because he'll be humiliated and unmanned. It's like, right. well, no, that's an excellent reason not to well, kill then, him. And, and you wonder whether his response that mercy is the mark of a great man is, is something he took away from the war. That, uh, I mean, yeah. we, we, we've certainly heard a little bit about the brutality of the war and you know certainly you know in the in the episode with the reavers where the alliance officer thought that uh you know this torture was the result of uh, brown coats as as opposed to reavers um so now we see anara arm around the wounded malcolm walking away from wing who claims you'll never work again and she's like no no dude you got it backwards (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now you're going to have to get women on your own. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like the guy says, yeah, you have to use your winning personality or something like that. So, Seeing how hard Malcolm fights, Harrow says, well, you're going to get my shipment to Serenity. Uh, and then Inar and Mal walk away. And again, as if we needed this scene to tell us this, but the look on her face says it all. She's in love with him. Sure. And uh, back on Serenity, though, the crew apparently has their plan. <laughs> which they're planning to put into motion shortly when Malcolm and Inara, you know, walk down the, uh, you know, yeah, little passageway towards God, them. Because just, I can imagine how ham-handed this whole plot was. <laughs> like even Wash was not, he was like, I was going to just watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So we get the closing scene, walking down the passageway singing. We see Kaylee going to her quarters She's got the dress hung up in plain view, puts on music similar to what was being played at the ball. And, you know, I guess just maybe to, to reinforce, you know, the fact that, that despite everything, she did have a good time. She did gain some respect, I think, from, you know, Malcolm. Uh, she certainly knows that there are people outside of the crew that respect me for who I am and what I know. Um, so, you know, I, I think she took all that away. Yeah. Well, you know, it just kind of struck me. She's, she's Liza Doolittle, right? Okay. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm going with my fair lady rather than pig Marilyn, but you know, I could have danced all night, like that kind of coming home sure. from the party and you're kind of flush with excitement. And, um, though there were some down parts to it, it was still, she got to do something she might have been fantasizing about for you know, a long time is to go and dress up in a nice dress and go to a nice high class party and uh, rub elbows with the 
rich people and everything that, uh, you know, it was, and so, and yeah, she has the dress up, she turns the music on and everything. It just reminds me of, you know, that song of My Fair Lady. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, speaking of fantasies, we then cut to the, the final scene with Mal and Inara sitting there just like in the middle of, I don't know, some, the hold drinking wine that apparently Kaylee made down in the engine room, <laughs> uh, the mood's light. And she tells him that she was really moved by his attempt to defend her honor. Plus you also lined up exciting new crime <laughs> and right. then tells him, like we said before, that she really wasn't going to stay. Why would I want to leave serenity? Double meaning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, the ship itself, obviously, the, the double meaning of it. Anytime they say, they mention it, there, there's, that double meaning is going to be there. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, so like, here's the place where she's happy, right? As, as we said in the beginning, this is home. Right, right. And then we see the wide shot that reveals that the cargo is like a lot of cattle. A lot of cattle. So, yeah. you know, so, I mean, we, we talked about the, you know, the reinforcement of the divide between the upper and lower classes, the, you know, the topic that Badger really brings up every time we see him. I guess one of the questions that I, I continue to have, what is preventing them from revealing their feelings for each other? I mean, they have to know how they, I, I know, I feel like I'm talking about Castle, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but I think while and, and we've talked about it a little bit before that that the the situation's a little bit different in castle because of Kate's mother's death but you know do they here do they each feel they'd have to give up something of him or herself to engage in a relationship you know that that how important is it for her to be a companion is that something that that you know it, you know is a mark of accomplishment for her well yeah and that's what it would require right that it would she would have to you know, give up her job, I imagine. She'd give up power. Right, right, exactly. And honestly, then, it, it, looking at it from like a practical standpoint, it's like what's preventing Mal is from his point of view, he could say, well, that'd be great because I'm really into her. But what if it doesn't work out? Like I would have asked her to give up her job. The whole dynamic of on the ship would change. I mean, he's the captain. She's kind of part of the crew. Um, so, you know, as, as a captain, he's just probably this one thing you shouldn't do is, is sleep around with the crew. Right. Yeah. So obviously that's on like this professional level that, that keeps him apart. And, you know, so then we might ask what is, is there like this also a personal level? I think also despite their attraction to each other that they do kind of piss each other off a lot as well. Well, well you know, you wonder, and, and again, you, you've seen each episode many more times than I have because I don't remember this. And so don't tell me, but you almost wonder why somebody on the crew is not saying to either or both of them. It's like, what are you doing? Because obviously in castle, you know, the, the, they, the other characters do say that, right. Um, you know, as if you think we're fooling, you're fooling us. Um, it also provided a lot of character development for Kaylee. I think a little bit for river, uh, I think you're right in in retrospect about um, Wash and Zoe that that really was an important scene. I think just to provide a sense of normal normalcy. But the other three, I guess, were just kind of you know Jane was had a couple Jane isms, but uh, we didn't see much of Shepherd Book, you no. know, or Simon. So, no. but with nine I mean, characters, you can't. Yeah, it's exactly right. You it's, can't cover everybody. You can't you can't juggle all the balls at once. Yep. But uh, 
I liked it a lot, no question. Um, is there something we're forgetting? Or No, I think we uh, pretty much got everything, everything yeah. that I had. I'll tell you, you know, I was thinking earlier in the week that, uh, you know, do, doing the alternating episodes, it, it feels like, wow, it's, you know, it's going to take forever to, you know, get down to the end of the uh, end of the show. But then I don't want to get to the end of the show because there is no more right. after that. So yeah. on the other hand, it's kind of good that we're doing it this way. Well, we're gonna you know, have to do the movie too when we get to the end of this. Yeah, well, true, true. I forgot about yeah. that. But but you're right. After that, then then that's totally it. Though um, there is a guy. If Joss Whedon wanted to redo Firefly, there is a guy out there who looks and sounds like Nathan Fillion. It is not Nathan Fillion. I don't even know the guy's name, but you know the guy I'm talking about who was on Defiance last season. No, he was the one of the E Rep guys. He gets killed. No, oh, the officer. Uh, I mean, he was. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he looks and sounds and talks and like my sister. Because it was actually maybe it was two years ago. It was two seasons ago. I was watching. I was visiting my sister in Iowa, and you know, she kind of walked by and was like, "Is that is that Nathan Fillion?" I'm like, "No, but it, dude looks just like him." Like, man, like let's get a Firefly reboot going now. But you know, you wonder from everything you read on the internet, from from you know all the fan panels that that he participates in. I don't think there's any way he would allow anybody else to play Malcolm. No, if you're going to redo it. I'm Malcolm Reynolds, yeah. and, and I'll work it out with ABC. And you, we'll, we'll get this uh, thing done. He'd probably have to work it out with his personal trainer too. Uh, well, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. That's ordinarily a thing I would say, but yeah, no, no. I mean, I, 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 Nathan, if you're listening, please forgive me. I am a huge fan of yours, by yeah. the way. Um, no, but just you know, they could. I guess they could do it, like, and so because they're they're all you know, they're all older down the line. You know, or now fifteen years down the line. Um, and that's a lot of time. And you, you look at this now. He's just that's one of the things. Is he's just he's so young. You yeah. know, it's just uh, um, which is kind of in contrast. I guess probably he would be a better, even better Malcolm Reynolds now because he looks more older and weathered now. Which is kind of like Malcolm is like you know like it's that's the one thing about the character. It's kind of out of touch with this young, pretty Nathan Fillion. Uh, playing a guy who's kind of world weary and haggard and stuff like that. So, yep. so, all right. Well, uh, want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about Firefly, Dark Angel, or anything else you think we should be watching. I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group, and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail dot com or voicemails via the Speak Pipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week with Dark Angel, Season 2, Episode 4, titled Radar Love. But until then... You know, Dave, there was, before we started podcasting together, there were other people said, Hey, Wayne, you want to do some podcasts? You know, and I was like, you know, forgive my rudeness. I cannot abide useless people.